Grace, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Lawson Harlow, and with me, I have two of my fellow elders, Don and Blake. Don, what are we doing today? So, as I thought through this week, uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, just back when I had met you, Lawson, and was, uh, I'm not sure if Blake, like, knows the history that I share with uh, Lawson, just like, you know, thinking through like how, like sharing together, like how, like how we came to know each other. Because uh, I, heard, I heard earlier this morning that you two met through. Were y'all playing frisbee golf? Or no, that something? was the second time we met. Oh, the second time. The first met. time we met, we got in a vehicle to go to a, a conference, and Blake sat there and listened to me talk for like forty-five minutes as a secret interview. Oh, nice. It was more like three hours. I didn't really talk, <laughs> really talk till post lunch. I was trying to figure out. <laughs> You just process who this, who this man guy was. Yeah. <laughs> who are because you? you were about to move here? Indeed. Yeah. I was, yeah. It was an interview. Like move here to. He was moving to, to the Memphis. Greater Memphis area. Yeah. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay. So, we were preemptively looking for churches and. Nice. And so he like found was, out everything I needed to know. Because Cappy, Cappy, a friend of ours, mm-hmm. was kind of our mutual friend, and he was him and I were having a conversation, and he was just sitting there listening. Nice. Um. So for for me, uh, I was uh, going to church, uh, uh, not here at Mercy Hill, so a different church, and it was the year 2016. So I'm I'm sitting, and, and I knew I knew of Lawson because he was uh, uh, he was a church planning intern, resident. Yeah, sorry, resident. Um, <laughs> Interns offensive. Yeah, sorry. I want to use my titles correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I knew of him because he was like, you know, in, in the midst of, you know, uh, going through uh, that, would you call it that curriculum, that training program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, uh, he walks up on a Sunday morning in place of my regularly scheduled pastor. <laughs> uh, and this is December 2016. And he preaches. Wow, I know, you are right? Precise. I know. And I'll tell you how, how I know all this because this isn't from memory. I had to go back and use I was gonna say, this resources. Is memory, like, wow. Yeah. So uh, he preaches a sermon on uh, Mephibosheth. And I mean, y'all, he clearly, and so go ahead and pop your head because the, the spirit speaketh, right? You're just a vessel. <laughs> so when I say he, he clearly and succinctly, and succinctly paints the picture of how we are dead dogs. There is nothing we can do or say to dine at the table of King Jesus and that this king has invited us and we come to his table by invitation only. Mm-hmm. And he has taken us in sat us at his table and made us partakers of his of his inheritance. And so y'all, I literally like had to hold my feet to the floor because I, I am a closet charismatic. He is a closet charismatic. <laughs> and so like literally um in my heart I'm jumping around the sanctuary shouting. <laughs> you said you said because I probably will say all this. So so I walk up to Lawson after the sermon and he does. He has no clue who I am. Never met you before, yeah, ever. Never. And so, before I tell you what I said to Lawson, like just know that because um, we have a lot of people that listen to this, and they'll, they'll come up afterwards and be like, "So let's talk about this." So I'm not trying to say what I'm about to say to have debates with anybody in this room or ever <laughs> about cessationism or continuationism. Okay, that's a later podcast. Yeah. Uh, when, when it comes to spiritual gifts. So uh, if you want to have a conversation, 
This is what I think. This is where, to me, I always table the argument. Let's define biblical terms. And so I'll just leave it at that, right? So, the, and it's, this isn't what today's episode is about. Uh, so anyways, back, back to the story. So I say, I walk up to Lawson and I say, literally, brother, don't get weirded out when I tell you this. This is, so, <laughs> I, this is exact. Yes. Because I know a lot of people may have a hard time with these words that I'm about to say to I'll you. I'll never forget this moment. And I pause. And so, y'all, I can still to this day recall Lawson's facial expression. <laughs> like, it was like one of these moments. Because, I mean, I would say, like, anybody coming down from the pulpit, there's probably no telling what all you've heard. And it's probably been a mixed bag. Um, so, he didn't know what to brace for. And so, I, I immediately say, uh, you have a gift. And it's the gift of prophecy. <laughs> and he's like, he's looking at me. And I go, I go, brother, let me just share with you Revelation 19.10, like, describes the gift as the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy. And so to go back into the Old Testament scripture and bring forth out of the shadow the substance and point us to the truth of the new covenant, like, to me, like, blew me away. And so I have a pastor friend of mine uh, uh, or he was on, or he is on staff at that same church. Good friend of mine, and for years he had heard me contend that we should be preaching or hearing the preaching of the testimony of Christ in the Old Testament. And so I had been championing this like in our midst, and I'm sure like I was obnoxious about it. Which I, you know, when I we all when I lay hold of yeah. something, I can I really be, can't su- imagine that. You can I, be super either. obnoxious. And I'm, I'm always thankful for the people that God's put in my life, that they're so graciously loving to me uh, in that regard. So I knew he would know Lawson's uh, contact information. So, oh, no. I know where this is going yeah. now. So I text him. I was like, hey, um, do you have Lawson's information? Can you send it to me? So I don't delete any text messages off my phone. So I still have it. I still have that message. This is why I was. Ha- this is how I was able to like validate all the dates. So I text on December the fourth, two thousand sixteen, and this is what I text this dear brother. Hey brother, can you send me Lawson's contact in- info? Thank you. And he texts me back. You like that sermon this a.m.? Question mark. And here's what I text back. Oh no. <laughs> I thought I was going to run around the same. So y'all, <laughs> like I had to go back and I was already remembering, like recalling this. And so I was like, it cracked me up because I was like, everything that I remembered, like I had shared, like already via text. So I was like, I, so this is what I said. I thought I was going to run around the sanctuary. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament because the gospel is eternal, exclamation point. So I text Lawson, I ask him to lunch and I ask you, uh, do you remember what I asked you if you like? Sushi? Yeah. Yeah. He says yes, which is a bold faced lie. No, it's just, not a lie. Stop it. Stop. Let <laughs> it was me bad sushi. Let me. Uh, and now you can't say the name of the place we went. <laughs> I'm not saying the name of the place. So uh, we sit down at the sushi restaurant and he orders, uh, he's looking at the little, you know, paper menu on what he's going to mark. He can't find anything that he wants to mark. And so, like, I, I have a couple of rolls that this place, like, go to. And uh, he essentially orders a sushi roll, hold everything, but give me the rice. So it's a rice log. <laughs> it had crab in it. <laughs> it, bro, so it does come with crab in it, but he sits there and picks the crab out of it. It had like, onion in it, bro. The, you still remember this? Yeah, I remember it. 
Because I, I actually not remember, I remember walking away. <laughs> seriously, I remember walking away from this conversation and, and thinking, this man's never going to call me back ever again. <laughs> I promise I remember that. So I knew then you were a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Because yeah. he picked it apart. So do you remember the first thing that I, I said to you, like when we sat down? So I just said, I said uh-huh. to you, I said, let's just get one thing straight about me. I'm guilty of every everything. Like... The law, I've, I've blown them all. Oh, I'm a wretch. And do you recall like what you said? Because I do. Same. I put no, no. Like so, I was thinking back. I was like, uh, you, in some form, you said, I'm always encouraged to know someone who intimately knows the depths of their own depravity. I said that. Yeah. That's all right. And so I, I quote Luther. Yeah. Because and and to me, like I, I'm, I'm getting someplace. So this this, yeah, this quote a, yeah. really helps frame maybe the uh, direction of our conversation. So, um, and here's, here's the Luther quote. It is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. Luther goes on to say, the law wills that man despair of his own ability for it leads him into hell and makes him a poor man and shows him that he is a sinner in all his works as the apostle does in Romans 2 and Romans 3, 9 where he says, I have already charged that all men are under the power of sin. However, he who acts simply in accordance with his ability and believes that he is thereby doing something good does not seem worthless to himself, nor does he despair of his own strength. Indeed, he is so presumptuous that he strives for grace and reliance on his own strength. Hmm. So with that, gentlemen, let's sharpen some iron. <laughs> so after our terrible sushi meal, I asked Lawson what his favorite food is. Do you remember what he said? Probably said barbecue. Yeah. What's your favorite food, Blake? To be honest, mayonnaise. Thank you for answering honestly. That's awesome. Mayonnaise I, makes everything better. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it it takes a ham sandwich from like mundane <laughs> to extravagant. I, I will not eat a ham sandwich. We go from Luther to mayonnaise. All right, so uh, <laughs> you did. You're right. You share barbecue. Yeah. So for the first couple of years, Lawson and I went on a barbecue tour together. And I never thought we'd ever be able to share our findings with a living audience. You know, like. <laughs> 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 so five places, okay, okay. That, that we have barbecue together. And, I mean, several years we... We we revisited several of these places, but it's it's five. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna list all five places that we dine. So Blake, j- join in on this. And here's what I want to know from each of you: uh, Is it a yes, no, or a maybe? Does that make sense? Like, like I'm gonna yeah, give you like the name. Yes, like I'm great. all in, okay. or all right, no, right. that's a hard no, or you know maybe it just depends. And so I want to know. Um, so I know for a fact, like Lawson's eating here because I've eaten here with him. So Blake, weigh in. If you haven't eaten, just let us know. Um, and so the the search for, because you, you had really said like barbecue, but specifically ribs. Yeah, I'm, I'm a ribs guy. Yeah, so like the search for really good ribs really just led us to just dining over barbecue. So here's here's the five. Tom's Barbecue Memphis. Oh, yeah. Yes, no, maybe. 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 Their brisket was good, but that was the only thing I liked. Okay. Blake, if you have I've Tom's never barbecue. Heard of Tom's. It's Tops, at the not Tom's. it's at the Get Well and uh and Rains Road. Yeah. Okay. 
next one, number two, the barbecue shop. No. No. I know everybody not hates Not even me for their this. meat and cheese tray with the little bologna thing so that you that's, love. So that's the only thing that I liked there. The ribs I thought were <laughs> mediocre at best. Yeah, but I'm saying like give me a I mean don't look like at the through just the lens then, of ribs. Then maybe. Okay. Goodness. Maybe to know. Blake, have you It just like I feel like barbecue me. doesn't have to be as fancy and sit down as they make it. At the barbecue shop? Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Uh, Corky's barbecue and specifically on Poplar. Like, I'm not trying to get into like their other places. So, Lawson, yes, no, maybe. Yes to maybe. Okay. It's a no for me. I fine? knew you were going to say no. Their dry rub is not good though. Okay. Their yeah. sauce is not good either. So yeah, actually, kind of the, the, the thing yeah. is, the thing is I'm eating ribs, so I'm happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it doesn't, but. Right. Yeah. Okay. Number four. Payne's Barbecue. Yes, they have the best barbecue sauce I've ever had. Okay. I've never been, but that's what I've heard. It's okay. the best barbecue sauce I've ever had, hands down. Okay. Uh, number five, just over the state line uh, in DeSoto County, Memphis Barbecue. Lawson. Yes. Blake. Yes. Okay. So here's uh, our next exercise. Here are five places that we haven't had together, but one of us thinks that we should have it. Okay. So... Is this yes, no, maybe? This then? is yes, no, maybe okay, as still? well. All right. All right yeah. So, uh, and I'm going to join in too, because these are five that yeah. I'm opinionated. I'm aware. In some <laughs> in some of these. Yeah. So, number one, Jim Neely's Interstate Barbecue, State Line Road. Specifically on State Line Road. Yeah. Or, I mean, just any of them. It's... Yes. Okay. For the historical facts. Okay. Yes, because they're cheaper than every other barbecue place around. Yeah, yeah I love them. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Um, all right, number two, uh, rendezvous. Hard yes. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I'm a hard no. They're the best ribs in this city. They're I think not. as long as you get ribs or a sausage and cheese plate and leave everything else yeah, out. Yeah, but it also just depends on what day, because sometimes I think they're pulling out, like, ribs from yesterday. So the issue is, like, I don't want ribs that are pull off the bone. I want to have to bite the bite the rib i'm sad for you you and you alone no I, I so i have i have other evidence and i'll bring it to fruition later all right number three central barbecue no yes i would say yes yeah that is my wife's supreme barbecue oh bless place. her um, all the way all right number Gosh, four are so bad i hate them number really? four Gosh. number four one and only I um I don't even know what that is. Okay, one and only barbecue. Maybe. Yeah, I'm a no. I, yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, number five, Germantown Commissary. Yes, but not for the barbecue. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Their mac and cheese is killer. Okay, well, like, I'm a yes as well, but for the sausage and cheese plate. Okay. Mm. All right. So here's a question: If you had to take an out of town visitor to just one place. Where would you take them and tell me the meal you would order them? This is barbecue? Yeah, this is this is barbecue. Oh, yeah. Rendezvous. Dry, dry ribs and a cheese plate. Okay. I'm going central. Okay. With a secret item that's not on the menu, but you have to get it at the downtown location. Okay. It is a sampler, which has sausage and cheese, nachos, and... They're wings that are smoked, then fried. 
Yum. You always have this secret insider Memphis knowledge. Hey, man. I appreciate it. Um, so to our, our listening audience, uh, here's, here's where I want you to participate. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a barbecue place that we missed, we want the name. So if you would go out on Facebook and under the podcast, post your favorite go-to barbecue spot. Doesn't have to be Memphis. Doesn't have to be DeSoto County. If it's not Memphis, it's not barbecue, but okay. Uh, you, can, you can go Kansas City. You can go Texas. You can do whatever. You, you, you do you. We'll delete those comments. But, but that's what we <laughs> want to know. But I'm about to, but I'm about to ask Lawson. Uh, I know that Lawson likes to cook ribs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never had them. But we, I want the rib recipe, and if it's any good, if Blake and I decide, Blake's had them. Okay. I've eaten them once. Okay. Uh, if we decide it's good, then we'll post the recipe to Facebook. And so we're gonna have a couple things like under the podcast, we'll have the recipe for ribs, and then we'll have our listening audience <laughs> posting their favorite. Uh, and this is only if the recipe's good. So yeah. uh, tell me your method on cooking Lawson's famous. Personally famous. Personally uh, famous, yeah. yeah. Rib recipe. Uh, it's a 3-2-1 method, so it's three three hours on at 220, and then uh, wrap them in aluminum foil. I'll go, uh, wrap them in aluminum foil for two hours, then put them back on for one, but I season them with salt, pepper, garlic, um, and then I use a dry rub that I put on them to cook as well. It's a sweeter dry rub. Um, smoke them for three Do hours. Do you make your own dry rub? No. Okay. No, right. I'm not. So. Gotcha. Okay, keep going. Um, but when I pull them off, so here's here's what makes them, is when you wrap them in aluminum foil, um, you put more dry seasoning down, and you put four tablespoons of butter, and you and you spread it out, and so you wrap it, and that butter just stays in there, um, and so for two hours it just sits in that butter, smoked with all the other fats and everything like that. It's wonderful. Yum. And sometimes, depending, when you take it out, you can put it back on if you want a little bit more bark for that hour. But the last couple of times, I haven't put them back on. And what do you finish them with? Are you going dry? Or are you going so I'm a, I'm a dry rub guy. And honestly, um, I don't do this for everybody, but because I genuinely do love Rendezvous, and I think it's better than anything else mm-hmm. that exists, mm-hmm. I use that dry rub, and I that's how I finish them. Their dry rub to me is uncontested. Agreed. Um, so moving on. Yeah. So we've eaten barbecue numerous times together, but uh, five places. And if you recall, I offered up five places that we separately uh, have eaten at, but maybe not collectively. We, you know, we were walking through an additional five places. So this leads me to our next five topics. So number one, total depravity. <laughs> <laughs> number two hey so hold on hold on hold on hold on, hold on. so here's the deal i just nobody people don't know this like blake and i don't prepare for this so so don just shows up and this whole podcast if you listen to it is don manipulating us into saying what he wants us to say <laughs> and i'll be honest with you i love it <laughs> okay right. number two unconditional election number three limited atonement number four irresistible grace Number five, Perseverance of the Saints. So all of those make up the five points, which is the tulip. But before we jump into the tulip, I want to know, has anyone ever in the history of mankind made a segue from barbecue to the five points I of think Calvinism? you're the first, bro. I think I, I, think, I may I think have you just, just I think landed you on the moon yeah. and staked yeah. a new flag. 
Alone. 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 Um, and it will probably be centuries before yes, anybody else does yes. it. So just like opinions on barbecue, there are a lot of opinions on these five points. Yeah. So I think we can all agree that opinions are good so long as they aren't inflamed. Fair. Yeah. Like so that. I, I want to hear just real quick, if we can, the simple breakdown of the five points. So... um and we can talk about this collectively or, or together, uh, you know, but I, I, but before, like, I don't want to spend too much time belaboring the five points. Okay. Um, because, in fact, I asked Lawson the other day if, if John, Cal- what his opinion was, if John Calvin was alive, does he think John Calvin would appreciate the term Calvinism? Yeah, no. Yeah, you said no. Blake, what do you think? I don't think so. Yeah, so, I, you know, for me, like, the... Uh, the five points are helpful, uh, but I think a lot of folks' starting point is to start with the five points and then work it into Scripture. Yeah. And so for me, um, I don't want to belabor the five points too much. I do want to set them out so that they're they're clearly articulated for us and our audience. Uh, but then I want to move in into more of uh, a biblical conversation. Because I think for me, the, the five points became something that I agreed with after I'd seen it in Scripture. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, like, we start outside of Scripture, and then we work into a framework. And so... Uh, anyway. Are we going to talk about how we came to the conclusions? Yeah, yeah, Cause I, yeah. Because I just had an epiphany, like, two days... No, yesterday, that was really interesting. But we'll... Okay. So, rapid-fire so, five points. Yeah, yeah. Total depravity, um, that man's faculties are completely corrupted by sin, even to the will, that there's no portion that's not corrupted, and from that state we are bound to sin to where we freely choose all that we love, but we only love sin. Um, Unconditional election, I mean, there's nothing foreseen in the creature that draws God to him for the purpose of election, but it is a gift of his free grace. Limited atonement, bad term, better coined particular redemption or definite atonement that God has a people that he has elected into salvation and Jesus bled to buy those people and to bring them into his family. Um, Irresistible grace is all that the Spirit draws will indeed come. That's just a Bible verse. Um, And uh, perseverance of the saints is that all those who are in Christ will be in Christ until uh, for for eternity. They will. There's no shot at them being removed from Him. That's rapid fire. Okay, Blake, that that was clear with you. Everything. Okay. Yeah. Same here. Um, I just like to call that the gospel. Certainly. Sorry, as as I literally just inflame people's right. opinions. I'm sorry. Right, he's being feisty. Yeah. Um, so what led John Calvin to see what he wrote was for him and should be for all of us a position firmly rooted and established in accordance with Scripture. So we can take a system, like I said, and work it back against Scripture. But for me, like the reality of Scripture is what had me then uphold the doctrine of yeah. all five points. And so a lot of times when I'm contending for uh, th- those truths, it's using scripture mm-hmm. uh, to defend, you know, what I believe to be true. Um, and do you, do you remember my text to my pastor friend when about Lawson? Like, hey, can you send me Lawson's? And he oh, asked no. me about what I thought about the scripture. Do you remember what I said? And I, y'all catch that? Because I said to him, the gospel, the gospel is eternal. Is eternal. Yeah, it right? is. Mm-hmm. And so the eternality. And you weren't convinced of these things at that point. Obviously, I was, 
But when but when someone would use the five points to try to maybe bring me outside the text yeah. of scripture, like it would break down for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So working through more um more of the covenants mm. and yeah. understanding that eternal covenant was like my personal journey through being a student of scripture that then had me look and say ask me those five points and do I say yes they're always tethered for me like within the covenant mm-hmm. uh, and we can call it the covenant of grace the new covenant but I would say the eternal covenant because it stood mm-hmm. before uh, before even creation leapt into existence yep. by faith that God spoke and, and it came into being. Yep. Um, so I want to know, like, just real quickly from each of you, like, how, like, so I say, hey, I uphold those five points because I see them to be true in Scripture. Uh, I'm less inclined to argue essentially inflammatory, like so often I think some people are, I, but I'm more, I'm more uh, maybe bent towards let's have a different conversation around the covenant and then I certainly will affirm all those five points. Um, Lawson, you were saying earlier, like, hey, are we going to get the chance? So yeah. this, this is where I thought. Let like, Blake go first because okay. I, I've been talking a bunch. So for me, I came pretty early to these things. And so Ligon Duncan, I've heard him use the term big God theology pretty mm-hmm. regularly. And so my youth pastor growing up definitely ascribed to big God theology. And I was drawn to how real he understood the scriptures to be and so through meeting he was we were working through the scriptures and i was learning these things from the scriptures and like really excited about it not knowing that this was pretty controversial you know in the southern baptist convention at the time and so i i kind of got these truths from the scriptures and then later put put the words to it like the tulip words to it Mm -hmm. um and so kind of using really biblical theology which you know kind of that covenantal um thread through the scriptures uh understanding the bible as one story is really what led me to it um kind of the meta narrative Mm -hmm. that's good so that's interesting that you said biblical theology so um mine was uh, my freshman year, I, I had I had never heard the terms at all ever in my life. The only time, like hindsight, was a warning to never be a Calvinist. Um, like that was the only time <laughs> I ever heard the term used. And so naturally, I'm like, oh gosh, it's evil. And I'm reading my Bible. And my freshman year of college, I decided that I was going to write a page for every verse in the Pauline epistles. So I started in Romans, worked my way through. And there were some hairy spots in Romans that I was like, I don't know, this seems like this might be a thing. And then I got to Ephesians 1, and Ephesians 1 just smashed it for me. And it was mm. like, and, and it got to the point where it's like, why would I deny these things that are so lovely? Mm. But I didn't, I still didn't know the terms yet, right? Like I just saw them and was, and was like, these are, these are beautiful truths. But then it was the attributes of God. Um, so mine was systematic theology, in my examination of theology proper, it was like there is no other conclusion to come to. Um, he is the eternal God. His love is eternal. So where did it begin? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was how I came to. And it was just, it really was just an examination of Scripture. It wasn't until like my second year of seminary where someone said these are the points of Calvinism, and I said that's just the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was literally what I said. I said that's not that's not news. Mm-hmm. I've held to those things mm-hmm. to these things for a couple of years now. 
So, um, the word covenant, would, would either of you be comfortable describing or naming a covenant as, as also a last will and testament? You need to, you need to, this is your thing. You need to elaborate on that. You elaborate. So the basic, the ba- correct me if I'm wrong, right? Yeah. So the basic principle is this covenant has rewards, right? As all covenants do. Yeah. Um, but the eternal covenant's reward is rooted in the promised one. That's right. Right. And so right. because it's rooted in the promised one and he has come and he has completed the work necessary for redemption, mm-hmm. we have what Ephesians 1 would say, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that is the reward for his execution of the covenant and we're just glad partakers. Yeah, and so that word covenant, I think I think we can we can broaden that word, right, to also include promise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because he binds himself to something. That's right. And so when I say would you be would you be comfortable, Blake and Lawson, describing that promise as also a last will and testament means if 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 those who are heirs of salvation and if the gospel's eternal and I, and I would state that the covenant is eternal, then where was that drawn or written, mm-hmm. right? And this is the decree, like yeah. the decree of salvation. And so like for me to understand biblically that this covenant is a last will and testament, it is the means by which we come into the kingdom, which is his promise, his decree, mm-hmm. then that led me to then look at the five points and say, I'm less of a student of five points and I'm and I'm more a student of scripture, yeah, and I'm not yeah. trying to take anything away from anybody, but that but that's to me is like yeah. where I, I've I've never been one to take the five points and then walk it into scripture, and so I, I'm just saying like I think for a lot of us that we saw it in scripture and then uphold it. So can I so backing up on this because I think this is an interesting point. I notice we've said we can have opinions, but it was the, as long as they're not inflammatory. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed about the inflammatory arguments of those who hold to the doctrines of grace or, the, or Calvinism is that they're, they were convinced of those things by the points themselves and not by the Bible. That's right. And so if you're convinced of it by the Bible, it's really, you don't have to be inflammatory. It's like, That's right. this is what God said. Right. Like I, it's, I'm not defending a right. system. I'm defending the gospel, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't need to be anti-gospel as I defend the gospel. Right. I think if you find it in the scriptures first, the the response is I'm going to glory in yeah. what's been revealed. But if you find it in the logic of the points, we're more tempted to glory in, you know, your logical your arguments wisdom and your understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's some scripture that have been really fruitful. Uh, as all scripture is. <laughs> just some. Just some. Just, just some. a few. There's that verse, as all scripture is breathed out by God. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, words have meaning. Does uh, that mean all? Yeah, so um, <laughs> this particular passage uh, is so good. Uh, it's Galatians three fifteen through 28. And so just for y'all uh, listening, we took some time together before uh, we started uh, recording, and, and each of us read this. Um, so if you've got time, you can grab your Bible, uh, you know, re- read the Scripture. Um, it's, it's Galatians three fifteen through 28. So to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. 
It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Yeah, so one of my original questions to you guys was like, you know, thinking through the covenant as a promise, but also as a last will and testament, which there's been a pen put to it, right? Because that that is written. And so the scripture starts out with uh, 3.15, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. And so that's not a word we use very often, but the word ratification or ratify means to sign, Right, and so that that is like an idea that Paul's putting forth in Galatians to say in the same way, mm. right? When God swore to Christ, He also made a promise uh, to those that He would bring into the kingdom, and so um, I think it's good for us to read, you know, round out the viewpoint of the main passage. I, I really want to focus into so. You know, three fifteen through twenty nine was you know really just lay you know Paul's laying the groundwork for what he's about to say in four one through seven. So let me read uh, four uh, Galatians chapter four verses one through seven. So I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son than an heir through God. So I remember coming in, well, really sitting down with you, Lawson, and having a big aha moment over four, one through seven. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. So can, I mean, you can probably articulate it better than I can. So I, this is where I really want to talk about, because I think, I think four, one through seven, in my mind, 
is bibl is 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 application of what God swore to give. It's the application of redemption in time. That's right. Yeah, so like the the application or maybe the better way to say it is say it is the start of justification started before the foundation of the world. Like when we look at the order salutis, the thing that's normally overlooked is the decree of salvation mm. that is before time began, right? Right. So it began and originated in the mind of God. So, uh, you know, you we talk about every so often you laughing at one point that I made during a sermon one day that, like, this is a Trinitarian covenant and somehow I'm caught up in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, how did I get here? Right. Why, right. Why, Boom, I'm why here. am I in the middle what of What just happened? I shouldn't yeah. be here, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's, by, that's by his mercy and by his grace. And so it makes me think of... Um, Romans 9. And so Romans 9, that that section that is uh, really helpful, is when it's making this argument about the purpose of election. And so it says, um, though they were, sorry, starting in verse 10, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. He goes on to say, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so when I think about this section from Galatians, it immediately drives me to Romans 9, primarily because uh, in Romans 9, it indicates that you are a son based upon God's mercy and God's mercy alone. It's Mm. his extension of mercy and grace and his purpose of election that brings one into the family of God. And so the issue is that we often flip this. And when we flip it, we say, oh, no, 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 it's because I've done something, Mm. right? I've I've run. Mm -hmm. And according to this text, it doesn't matter who wills or who runs, but on God who has mercy. That's right. And so when we look at Galatians 4, what we want to see is when it says in verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. In the mind of God... The elect of God are always sons of God, Mm. but there is a point of application inside of time, right? So Jesus accomplishes redemption, Mm -hmm. but then the Spirit applies it. And we, though, in the mind of God, are are His elect, Mm -hmm. His beloved. Mm -hmm. Before the foundation of the world, this is true. He applies those inside of time where we are, where we, uh, as as you often say, right, as we confess God as Abba, Father, that proclamation of faith. And as we make that proclamation of faith, then we see... Mm I've been I've been caught up in trinitarian affection mm-hmm. since before the foundation of the world and I I just now realized I'm here right like I, I and but nonetheless what am I doing here but nonetheless and, and even this is an application to that reality that means that everything that took place before my conversion mm. was his loving kindness that's to right, me indeed. that's right um, and that fundamentally changes the way we look at not only our life in Christ today but even the life that we lived before mm-hmm. that application mm-hmm. of redemption came. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of when we were reading Galatians 3.22, and it says, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Mm. And the, the KJV, when it says imprisoned, and the ESV, uh, it, it uses concluded that everything, everyone was under sin. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it drives me to 
look deep at the verse that says, while we were yet sinners, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. Yes. And so it's, 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 really, it's really thinking through that exactly what you said, Lawson, in, in Galatians 4.1, that the heir, as long as he is a child, mm-hmm. like he, he will be brought in from slave to heir yep. because categorically he was always a child. And so, you know, coming to know that and coming to identify that God does not change his mind and those who he calls will indeed come. And how does he do that? He brings us in to be heirs through adoption. Mm -hmm. And so by his adopting spirit sent into our hearts, we cry, Abba, Father. And a lot of folks, you know, for me, like get into this and want to parse this apart, unhelpfully so. The, the verse that to me, like, I think we, we end up, we can get on a firm, you know, ground with, with just the three of us, right, and think through, like, man, that so blesses me, is when you were saying, Lawson, th- this happens in the life of a believer. Yeah. It's, it's the verse when it says, uh, in the same way we also, mm-hmm. when we were enslaved, right, if you come back up to verse 2, but when we were under guardians and managers of the law, yeah. like God had a purpose in that and that he was going to set us free. And it says, until the date set by his father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there it is. It's like, you know, all of a sudden I look up and I go, he redeemed me. Yeah. He, he did so while I was yet a sinner. Yeah. Like Christ died for me. Mm-hmm. and. And like what you say, like I end up laughing out loud a lot of times, like in service, and it's like all of a sudden I'm looking around, it's like I'm in a Trinitarian affection, affection, yeah. And it's like, how am I here? You yes. know, thank, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. You know? <laughs> um, so thinking through, you know, I think when early in Galatians three, when it's talking about the ratification of a man-made covenant, right? It's like we understand that when we want to pass inheritance on to our children, right? Yeah. We sit down with the last will and testament and we ratify it. We sign it, right? But scripture upholds and says it only takes effect at the death of the one who made it. Yeah, yes. And so that that uh that leads me to uh Hebrews 9:15 through 17. So it says, and I'll read it real quick for us. So it's uh, Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. It says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. Mm -hmm. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And when you think about, um, you know, so often I think through like, you know, uh, this will is sometimes like, even in my own life, it, it's, I have to constantly remind myself, you know, of that there was a promise, a decree and God's word does not change, right? Yes. It is, it is sworn. It's written down. It does yeah. not change. And so it moved me to look at, um, Hebrews 10, verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Mm. And I remember um, texting uh, 
as I often do, if Books, you ever get a text from me. An entire book. Yeah. <laughs> which. It's like the title of a Puritan book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start calling it Treatise by Dawn. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get y'all's thoughts on this because I sent it to you. I don't think we ever talked about it. I don't even know if you read it. I normally don't read your text messages. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to read it. So uh, I, I start out, and sometimes I write, I think this is good for all of us. It's like my form of journaling. Yeah. You know, it's like we hold That's it fair. if it's like pen and paper. It's like, oh, wow, you journal? It's like, well, I do. I, I text myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not holy. <laughs> I mean, it's not. But. Yeah, so. Uh, it's not spiritual unless you use a fountain pen. That's right. Yeah, and I have a leather-bound notebook. You're making fun of this, but that's my life. I know it. Yeah, okay. I'm looking directly at yeah, you yeah, when I say yeah, this. Yeah. All right, so I've been studying lately the reality of Hebrews 10, 7. Which is, and I'll read it again. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And so how in Hebrews nine sixteen through 17 is a last will and testament. But as we progress reading from nine sixteen and 17, we encounter the transition or perhaps the climax of God's will being not only his desire, but a desire in which was written. Hmm. So Hebrews ten seven is linking back to that will spoken of in 9, 16, and 17 as written. So as it is written of me, right? So it's like where a will is involved, I mean, those that are called to receive the promised eternal inheritance, and I mean, he, he's, he's laying out the case for you have to understand like what he comes and accomplishes is everything that was written for him to accomplish. And we would always look to He's got to bring me in, yeah. yeah. right? He's got to make me in. I mean, he's got to bring into my life the promised reality that he set before the foundation of the world. Yeah. So it says, um, Hebrews 10, 7 is linking back to that will spoken of in 9, 16 through 17 as written. Then we move from 10, 7. So I want to read that verse, which I already have. So th that's the one where it says, as written of me in the scroll of the book, to 10, 10, and by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hmm. And then you move on to 1036, which says, For you have, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So it's like, you know, we see, we see this transition from 9, 16, and 17, to 10 7 to 10 10 to 10 36 we see the will in more of a sense of desire right but it's not but one doesn't alienate the other in fact they're to be held together so john 1 13 says uh and it's and it's born of read this verse you've got you can quickly pull it up look at john 1 13 and read that are you already yeah. there yeah Go for it who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god Mm. And it's implying that we were born of the blood and the will of God. As I've often approached will, I've only understood it as his desire. Mm. But what inaugurates a last will and testament is the death of the one who wrote it. Yes. Therefore, Christ's blood inaugurates the will as in a last will and testament. And then we look how Paul is writing in Colossians 9. He is specifically praying for the saints to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Let's read that one. And y'all, I'm still working through my text, my journal text. I know, it's it's six pages long. <laughs> uh, and so from the day 
uh, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so, yes, we would say definitely his, his sovereign desire. Yes. But also his sovereign last will and testament, i.e. his covenant. And if we keep reading past one nine, we encounter the call to give thanks in one twelve. So read that one, Lawson. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in yes. light. Yes, yeah, so inheritance, right? I mean, that's that's only given to us in, in a will. So we are heirs written in a will. Paul's prayer is to come face-to-face with the reality of the knowledge of his will, because when we do, we come to know and proclaim, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Mm-hmm. Scripture reminds us how this actually operates in the life of his people, And so let's read Romans 3.30. And this is is the end of the book text. It's the end of one of the book texts. (laughs) This particular book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the the many. Go for it. Yeah, go. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? So... I mean, the the words here, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? So thinking about loss and light, God knows yeah. who his children are, mm-hmm. and he will move them from being under the law slaves to crying, Abba, Father, and thus you know, identifying them as a child and now an heir. So it's, it's looking at—I mean, I believe, Paul, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, so— Look at the language that who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So would we do well to think through salvation belonging to us right now? We have come to lay hold of it by what means? Faith. Faith. By faith. Yeah. If we would say before I came to faith, I would come to know him not I hadn't yet come to know him, but I would. And would we not describe that as I had not come to know him yet through faith? Hmm. Hmm. So it's it's identifying that the that there isn't there isn't a remnant currently in this context that Paul is writing to that has been saved by faith. And Paul is establishing that there are yet those who have entered into the kingdom, but they will, mm. and they will do it through faith. Because yes. the uncircumcised become the circumcised That's through right. faith. That's yeah. right. That's right, bro. Yeah. And so, I mean, so now, this is what I, I would love to hear, what now is the motive of evangelism? So what like, what gives the feet oh, under good. what motivates the go therefore? I have brothers and sisters Yes. I have brothers and sisters that are unconverted and mm-hmm. when they hear the gospel they will come. They certainly And then will. also there's the so that that's one of the motivations. I think that's one of the sweetest motivations. I mean I think of even our congregation here. There were there were people who are now dear brothers and sisters that were unbelievers, mm-hmm. pagans mm-hmm. before the gospel reached them. They were converted and now they're it's not right. So like at one point they were strangers and aliens, mm-hmm. but now they are my brothers and sisters who often will dine at my table that mm-hmm. I spend time with that, that I enjoy fellowship with that I could never have enjoyed fellowship with apart from their regeneration. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they have in some sense 
always been my brothers and sisters. It's yes. simply the application of that in mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty of the beauty of uh, evangelism, and you know, William Carey uh, went his his like the 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 father of modern missions went because he knew that there were elective God hmm. elsewhere, yeah. and that was his motivation for evangelism. You know, one of the charges that's often instituted against Calvinism is it's a, it's a cold and unevangelistic uh, doctrine. I'm like. Brother, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm going, I'm going to see my brothers and sisters rescued. Mm-hmm. And when I preach the gospel, I believe that by the authority of the Spirit of God, He will draw all those who are His to mm-hmm. faith. And it matters mm-hmm. how it does not matter how dead they are. Mm-hmm. He can give life to any mm-hmm. dead man. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, obviously, that that is a motive of, of yeah. evangelism. Um, but we have here at, at the church, we've got uh, the solas listed on the wall, yeah. right? Yeah. And so uh, talk about God's glory, right, being mm-hmm. the motive. Blake, I mean, I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts through, and, and really just a discussion yeah. between us, like to talk about the motivation being God's glory, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think about for me, it's like what look what love the type of love, mm-hmm. this covenantal love, although I do not deserve it, he did it, and yeah. he demonstrates his love in this way that it's so it's so lavishingly lavished upon us that how else can I not sing about yeah. and talk about yeah. the links that he went to to rescue me? You know, like I mean, to me, like that's the thing, and so it's it's to uphold that verse that says. Be ready to give an answer for the mm-hmm. hope that you have. And so I think it's a fallacy often that we hear uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. It's like, <laughs> right, throw that out. Yeah. It's like... Cook, use food if necessary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but I think our lives, right, should yeah. demonstrate that Absolutely. we do all things for yeah. his glory. And it's mm-hmm. like, bro, and I'm like, I'm cooking at home. I'm, to the glory of God. Yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. there should be something uniquely yeah. different about the life of a believer. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Yeah, that we have in dream, fact yeah. been set free, and we've yes. come to know what we have come to share in, yeah, which yeah. is this links that God has gone has gone to draw us to Himself and to accomplish salvation on our behalf. And so it's like it's just a mouth that can't stop singing about yeah. what you love. So yeah. I mean, I think that is probably in my definition like. The glory of God, yeah. like, that, like that's it's about His work. Yeah. Would you? I mean, Blake. Yeah. So, like, I think I've been thinking a lot about this from our study in Jonah. Was Jonah declares salvation belongs to the Lord, mm-hmm. and thinking about the solas and how every aspect of salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah. Like, you could not have dreamed this up. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is better than anything we could have ever imagined, uh, and it's all freely given. Mm. And I think like. I was even last night we were playing wiffle ball with some young adults and I was like sitting there on the wiffle ball field thinking like apart from Christ, like I don't know these people. That's right. Right. And, and like there is, there is a glory even in my interactions with people um, in just day to day interactions because it, it, it is a gift. Um, all of it is a gift mm-hmm. and it's all of him. Mm-hmm. And um and that is part of that, just that hope and comfort that salvation belongs to the Lord. He will do mm-hmm. what He wills, mm-hmm. and and that is that's a comfort to us mm-hmm. that, that yeah. none of that is mm-hmm. left to chance. Mm-hmm. The one other thing I'll add, and I told Blake that I've been flirting with a, a doctrine that uh, 
that makes people uncomfortable. But it, it's a millennial view. Uh, but there's a, there's a, there's an optimism amidst this millennial view that is just really <laughs> contagious to me. And uh, it's the conquering of the world by the gospel. Oh, yeah. And what's so lovely about it is Jesus deserves worship in all of Olive Branch. Hmm. Jesus deserves worship in all of Mississippi and all of the United States and the entire continent and ultimately the globe. Every tongue needs to confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and they will. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the beauties of the conquest of Christendom is it's a conquest of life, Mm -hmm. and it's a conquest of glory. And so when we go forth proclaiming the gospel, we're not going forth saying, hey, we really... We ask you, please. No, mm-hmm. it's a command. Mm-hmm. Repent and believe the gospel right. because he is worthy of all glory, mm-hmm. honor, and praise. Mm-hmm. And we do well to reclaim some of that. Mm-hmm. Like there's been this passivity, and I think it entered in with Finney and some of the seeker-sensitive movement. But we have to be people who are about saying, repent and believe the gospel because he deserves and he will have mm. your worship. I mean, yeah, and your confession that he is Lord. And he will have it here and now. Or he will put his foot on your neck mm-hmm. and bend you to the mm-hmm. earth, and you will confess Jesus mm-hmm. Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, often I think we we forget as as we don't read to the end of the story, right? And we <laughs> yeah. we, we think about. I think we forget the scripture that says we no longer consider him in the flesh, yeah. right? Like he is seated at the right mm-hmm. hand of the Father. He is putting all his enemies under his feet, and yep. we are seeing day by day the gospel goes forth because the only reason the sun comes up today it's because is because the day of salvation, right? And yeah, they man. will indeed cry, Abba, Father. And so we, we, you know, but we forget, I think, often the wrath of the Lamb. Yeah. The only scary thing in Revelation. Yes. The only scary thing in Revelation yes. is the wrath of the Lamb. Yeah. It's like you have Everything this, else is a joke. Yeah, it's like you have this passive display of behold, yeah. John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. But yet, in the end, you have the wrath of the Lamb, because to your point, Lawson... They, I mean, comparatively a joke, by the way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they have scorned yeah. and disobeyed the offer yeah. of the command to believe yep. and repent and confess. Yep. Um, and without the grace of God, right? Yep. There go I. Yeah, absolutely. And if I find myself apart from the gospel, without there, the blood, yeah. what am I expecting, and do I have a problem with it? Mm-hmm. No. Should I be in judgment. fear? Yes, yes sir, absolutely. I should. But do I have, is God unjust? No. Mm-hmm. So I believe when we, when we think through the admission of guilt within Christendom, it's, it's apart from God's redeeming grace, yep. we are admitting that we are guilty and do a just penalty. And even in Galatians, you see that, right? It's this, it's this weight over you. Mm. It's this guardian, but captor. Mm-hmm. That says this is where you are, mm-hmm. and you know you and I have talked about this before, which is just this idea that the believer clearly knows, mm-hmm. apart from the grace of God, I am under His wrath, and I am right. under His wrath justly, that's right. and that's that's the confession of a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll close our time today with a, a valuable truth from God's Word, and it's Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. So I want to thank my fellow elders, Blake McCullough and Lawson Harlow, for discussing how we come to the king's table by invitation only, and the food we eat isn't barbecue, men. (laughs) My brothers and my friends, Godspeed. Godspeed.